welcome to the first part of our news quiz of the year. Never once to break with tradition, we begin with a cutting read by Charlotte Green. Falmouth Railway Station is closed due to flooding. Please use Falmouth Docks instead. <laughs> the year began filled with hope and optimism. Sadly, that year was 1922. In 2003, the papers were filled with rumours and alarms of war, with both sides seizing their chance to build up their forces and vilify their opponents. But we'll have more about Tony Blair and Gordon Brown later. It was a different conflict which was plastered over the front pages. John, who's having second thoughts about a second resolution? Ah, this is a second resolution at the UN which I think they're bound to get, and a third and a fourth if they want them. They're very good at passing resolutions at the UN. They just uh, find it very difficult to do anything. <laughs> but things are beginning to clear up anyway because we now know that we are going to go to war. We are definitely going to go to war against the French. <laughs> there have been hints all along that Iraq is the size of France, get it, like France. <laughs> They're producing mustard gas, French mustard gas. <laughs> the thing is that people always want to fight people they've fought before, so for us it's the French and or the Germans. <laughs> all we needed was a tall, arrogant Frenchman to say non, and then along came President Chirac. I want to know if Blair is prepared to fight the war without US backing. <laughs> that would be a good wind-up in a press conference when he's answered all the questions about the moral reasons for the war and then and you say, Prime Minister, what do you think of Mr Bush's assertion that he's lost interest in it and you're going to have to do it all on your own now? <laughs> but I find that the US at the moment is sort of like a, a mother whose daughter is about to get married and who's come to her and said, look, I know you've uh, arranged this enormous reception and everything, but I don't want to get married anymore. And the mother going, oh, but it would be such a waste now. We've, we've arranged it all. Francis, we begin with part A of the war question, the away leg. So with your foreign affairs hat on, boom, bang, a bang, discuss. <laughs> What, what war would that be, then? <laughs> it's... No, I do know this. Um, we've declared war on uh, Nasser Hussein or someone like that. Um, I think the gist of it is that we're at war. And um, I think Blair imagines that he's playing the part of Sergeant Wilson to uh, Bush's Captain Mannering. So <laughs> he's tried to act as a restraining influence. Do you think that's wise, sir? <laughs> <laughs> to which, of course, Bush says, I'm the commanding officer, I give the orders, and Blair says, very good, sir, very good, sir. <laughs> there was some ITN reporter in the Kuwait desert doing a very sort of sombre and serious piece to camera live, and a British squaddy, dressed up as Elvis Presley, leapt out from behind the sand dune and started prancing around behind him. <laughs> Linda, why is there summit up with Bush and Blair this week? Tony Blair has flown out to America to see George Bush, to have a bit of a meeting about the war and, you know, the aftermath and everything. And uh, actually, Bush was a bit disrespectful, I think. He kept Tony Blair waiting around for hours and hours and hours. And it, it was awful for him because he's not allowed on the sofas. So um, <laughs> he was just sat there in the car with the window open a crack. 
Well, good news uh, for the Iraqis is that I think it's Dick Cheney's old company, isn't it? Have got the, yeah. have got the yes, Halliburton have got the um, contract to reconstruct Iraq, and I do think that's a very good idea. You should always book tradesmen by personal recommendation. <laughs> I really, because you can come on if they just pick someone out the yellow pages, you know, some Herbert would turn up in Baghdad, leave three bags of cement there, then clear off to Iron Apple with a mate called Lee for three months. So, uh, I think that's very important. Uh, so that, that's, that's what that is. But you have to wonder what Blair's getting out of it, actually, apart from the air miles, don't you? Cherie <laughs> <laughs> really wants that decanter. She really wants <laughs> But also checking into Camp David, it, it must be like a hotel for him now. He has to check in. Uh, hi, sir, uh, do you have a reservation? Well, actually, I've got a lot of reservations, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he does, he does get a reduction because he's part of their frequent fighter programme. <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to win over Iraqi hearts and minds when their hearts are in one place and their minds are in another. <laughs> I think that's largely due to the cunning of Saddam Hussein, the way cunningly he's hidden all the residents in residential areas. He <laughs> said there are 72 nations are in the coalition. Really? Yeah. They said that today. I think the government of Fiji must have sent a good luck card. <laughs> Of course, the big conflicts weren't just abroad. Charles Clark was battling with students. The Tories were battling with, uh, oh, you know, that bald bloke used to run the place. Name sounded like a parcel delivery service. Um, IDS, that's it. Francis, who's building a new education system? Oh, it's Charles Clark, fat controller. I remember him well. <laughs> he, um, uh, well, when I was a student rebel, he was president of the National Union of Students many years ago. In those days, he had a proper beard. This is what's very odd about Clark. He, at the age of 21, he had quite an impressive beard. It's gone all fungal now. And now it, it looks like Boris Johnson's pubic hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased to say I've never seen Boris Johnson's pubic hair. <laughs> well, it's a treat in store. But, um, <laughs> I just feel that I either grow a proper beard or shave it off, but um, he seems to think differently. And, well, they gave all this money to education... And it hasn't got through to the schools. So Clark has said that schools can use the money meant for buildings to pay teachers. But it makes sense, doesn't it? They sold off the playing field so that we could have school buildings, and now you sell off the school buildings so that we can have teachers. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty soon, I think we could just have, we could have class at my house. I think that's <laughs> going to be the way forward. We could have classes in the open air and just call them maths festivals and things. <laughs> <laughs> Education Secretary Charles Clark has pledged to pay teachers' wages from money earmarked for school building projects. Many schools are now cutting out the middleman and getting builders to teach pupils vital lessons, <laughs> such as how never to turn up on time, how to rip off a pensioner, and how to stop worrying about exposing your ass to the whole world. <laughs> I love the idea of builders teaching. <laughs> dear, oh dear, who's taught you this history then? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they... <laughs> The builder would begin a lesson on, um, on Queen Elizabeth I and then go away for three months. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, listen to this. Who's hoping things can only get better because the money men say it can't get much worse? This is the Tory party. It is. And you've made this the anthem of the Tory party. It's awful doing this in front of Boris, who even as I speak is, is, is burying his head in his hands. No, no, no. Blast right um, ahead. I don't care. You say what you want. But uh, apparently uh, <laughs> they are broke. The, the Tory party is broke. Uh, there is no money. 
I don't know where the money is gone. I, they certainly didn't spend it on headhunters. Um, but, but for some reason, um, that the tiny till that was the legacy of John Major uh, has gone, and, and they are broke. Wow. And I saw today that, that Major is not being made uh, a knight of the garter because he cocked up the, um, the sale of Britannia. And the Queen and Philip were very cheesed off. They had this boat, and they rather wanted to keep it. Uh, and apparently it was a furious row. And Philip shouted at Major, um, and, and Major cringed. Unbelievable that the Tories should be blamed for the decommissioning of a yacht which Labour got rid of. It's absolutely, I mean, it's, 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 it's the genius of this party. I mean, how on earth could we contrive to be saddled with this one? I mean, rail track, possibly. Uh, but the Royal Yacht, this was, this was, a, this was, a, a, this was a piece of petty Labour vindictiveness against the Royal Family, and somehow or other, uh, because Alan believes what he reads in the newspapers, we're being saddled with it. <laughs> I, I, think it I think it's monstrous. Morris, did you ever get to the stage you where ever, you, you're just tired and you just want to say to somebody, do you know what, you're right? No. <laughs> <laughs> And while we're at it, I, and I, I, I want, to, if I may, uh, yes. very briefly, to come back to the question which you seem to have wandered away from the, the important <laughs> the story, which was about the. Um, that, that's the, how the, the game works, the, you the see. <laughs> well, I, well I, I, I want to grab the steering wheel and take us back to the question of why the Tory party is apparently you know, uh, low in the, in the water financially. And of course, it's absolutely nonsense. It's, yeah. two, it's two years after the yeah. election. Another election is two years away. You'd expect a... You wouldn't want people giving money to a political no. party now, which is no. ridiculous. But as the moment draws nearer, there yeah, will no. be a frenzy yeah. of cheese and wine <laughs> parties. There will. There will. Of innocent uh, whist drives, sparkling wine yeah. evenings of all kinds up and down the country, many of which will be attended by Simon... And me uh, giving uh, giving loyal speeches of uh, uh, one kind. <laughs> They will generate stonking revenues for the oh. Conservative Party, which will propel it. Are you going uh, to have a, a, a bring and buy policy sale as well? <laughs> <laughs> Independent auditors are refusing to sign off the Conservative Party's accounts because they fear it's no longer a going concern. The accountants have told the party there's not enough income for it to be viable. Income being a technical accountancy word for votes. <laughs> the Tories are finding it so hard to raise any loan. what they said on May the 1st. <laughs> yeah. Are you they... like this first thing in the morning as well? <laughs> One of the instruments played by farmer Robin Much is a bazooki, a Greek mandolin, and not a bazooka, as reported on the <laughs> I recently received a letter from a listener praising the news quiz as a veritable mine of information. And so it is, provided you define a mine as a dark, smelly, seemingly bottomless pit. But we do get nuggets of occasional useful information. Our panel is particularly keen on vital, life-changing scientific discoveries. Andy, why could you benefit from a close shave? <laughs> why could I benefit from a close shave? Oh, why not? Is this some... Survey? What? Strokes. It's an offer for later, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> is, this, is there a connection between having a beard... Yeah. ...and having a stroke? Yeah. yeah. I don't Train? know what the science is. If, it's, if you can't be asked... I don't know what the science is. <laughs> oh, well, get that beard. white coat off now. <laughs> it's about uh, not shaving. Yeah, it says that yeah. men that don't shave every day... 
there is a correlation between that and strokes. Yes. To say nothing of that, the men that don't shave every day tend to stay in bed, drinking beer and smoking, and eating fast pizzas sent in from outside. Somehow, That's this correlates with the stroke. You've made your lifestyle choices, Andy. <laughs> you have to live with them. I've forgotten which it is. You're more likely or less likely to have a stroke. You're more you? likely. If, if, if you uh, don't shave every day, you're more likely to have a stroke. You all right? I'm... <laughs> All right, well, I'm prepared to go out on a limb here and say that I think that is probably scientifically rather unsound. <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm not shaving just comes from some university of nowhere shire. <laughs> I think it's interesting about you, though, that you count lifting your arm up and down against your cheek as exercise. <laughs> <laughs> no, only if you do it more than once, Andy. Yeah. That's uh, it's like, you, step, be a, you know. It's... The devil in the house for keeping the loo bowl clean. <laughs> A team at the University of Bristol suggests that men who do not shave daily are 30% more likely to die of a heart attack and 70% more likely to have a stroke. Though, in their favour, they're 100%. <laughs> Hang on a second. Can I? Linda has just leant across and gone, 70%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, I've got as good a sense of humour as the next man. <laughs> Certainly the next bearded man. But any more beard stuff, I'm going for a lie down. <laughs> Alan, who's got a hair-raising answer for the follicularly challenged? Yeah, I don't believe this story. <laughs> They've developed a protein which um, grows hair on men and removes it from women. But the protein itself is called Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N. <laughs> and I looked at that and I thought, it is April the 1st, it is some wind-up, somebody trying to cheer us up because the war is on. You can imagine that, you know, a freak show owner reading that thinking, God, I've got to hide this. <laughs> She's my main attraction. <laughs> the Osama Bin Laden look-alike lady. That's the thing with all these Saddam looky-likes, isn't it? You know, it's gonna, when he goes, it's going to be like the Diana looky-likes all over again. A whole industry collapses. <laughs> How will they be redeployed? Well, there'll, there'll be a big army like Elvis. There'll just be tribute Saddams. <laughs> Chinese He, li he lives Chinese on in our hearts. <laughs> that could be our secret weapon in this war, the uh, noggin. Yes. All their moustaches would fall out. <laughs> and then they'd have to go around impersonating Jeffrey Palmer. <laughs> We have deployed the Noggin missiles. <laughs> A 10 megaton Noggin missile will hit his palace, <laughs> rendering him totally hairless. <laughs> and then he will finally look like Dr. Evil. <laughs> Mini Saddam, come with me. <laughs> <laughs> How was the war, Saddam? The war was cool! <laughs> Would Minnie Saddam like a falafel? <laughs> oh, that's... Have you ever played that field, the Baghdad Comedy Festival, just falafels? <laughs> Alan, what's left Viagra facing a mounting crisis? I've forgotten the name of the other one. Um, not needing either. I like mounting crisis. There is, there is a new Viagra that begins with a C, and I can't remember, but I will, because I'm going past the boots on the way home, um, which, is, uh, which lasts for 24 hours. And the thing is, can you get it over the counter? No. 
but it's been produced by the French, which is a wonderful, rare admission of national inadequacy. And Viagra is not good enough. Next week is uh, National Contraception Week, and um, I was sent three packets of condoms, right? And, uh, and a thing, and I thought it was a thing like you measure spaghetti with. Um, uh, it had three separate holes in it, like you could do, you know, family four, family five, family six, you stick the spaghetti. It wasn't that at all, apparently. It was a, said so you got the right size. Uh, <laughs> Thing. Anyway, it had, uh, it had large, regular and trim. <laughs> trim, trim. That's aerodynamic, yeah. trim. Yeah. I'm not getting the picture of this. This is yeah. a female condom. No, it's no, not, this, it's... Is a, this is a boy's thing. And I was, don't know why I was sent it, but they have to... Um, they... I'm on some list, and... Um... <laughs> and in order to make sure you get the right size prophylactic, they have a little gauge that you're supposed to slip on. And they and poke it... this through the letterbox. Well, it? yes. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm telling you, large, regular, trim. Hands up, anybody wants to say, oh, that's, that's me, I'm pump. trim. <laughs> I've never had anything like this. All I get is the RSPB magazine. <laughs> it's another world again, isn't it? It did come with instructions, but they were awfully small. And, um, sorry, trim. Sonny, did it, did it measure you when you were, not you, but one... <laughs> When one was at rest, or like, the, or like the spaghetti before you put it in the boiling water. <laughs> and what I'm trying to say is, do you measure it when it's al dente? <laughs> you know what's really awful is that that never even occurred to me, is it? <laughs> As a question, <laughs> does it really change that much? <laughs> I'll, I'll, bring, I'll send it to you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've forgotten what we were talking about. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I imagine, imagine what the postman thought. <laughs> Two points. <laughs> The position of Viagra in the male impotence market is under threat by newcomer Cialis, said to be faster, more effective and longer-lasting than its rival. <laughs> the manufacturers claim Cialis is so effective it will not only do everything Viagra does, it will even smoke the cigarette for you afterwards. <laughs> Before we start the final round, here's a cutting from the Sunday Mirror. In a story... <laughs> In a story where where a pop star assaulted a toilet attendant, the attendant told the Sunday Mirror newspaper, I was shocked. I don't care how many number one sheets (laughs) had. As chairman, I'm proud to be in charge of a team which is prepared to tackle the hairiest problems to face up to the bold facts and get down to the short and curlies. They'll always cheer us up by finding something completely trivial and silly to say about all of them. Andy, what kind of monkey business is going on in Japan? Oh, now, shot horror, they found some highly promiscuous lesbian monkeys who, who actually don't give a monkeys about, <laughs> about looking after the kids. They're up for it because... Normally it's males who, are, uh, who seek hundreds of partners, 
um, and it's the females who are, are sort of a bit more conservative. But apparently these lesbian macaques, you know, Friday night, they're in the white stilettos, they're <laughs> hanging out in discotheques in Newcastle, and they basically they are sexually uh, rampant. I don't think the males of this species stay home and be new monkeys. Um, but anyway, well, that's... probably male gay monkeys as well, and they which I'd like the idea of that. Uh, no, actually, to be fair to the lesbian oh, monkeys... Oh, I've done a nice little banana souffle. I'm fed up with banana, 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 just for the time. <laughs> no, no, When no. an ape, every time that one comes through the trees, oh, like an ape that swings both ways. <laughs> now, I think for legal reasons, we must get this right. To be fair to the, the lesbian monkeys, there's not something I've said that often. <laughs> uh, they sorry, are, Andy, I think they are the... bisexual. They, they, they're not fussy. I think you mean the lesbian monkey community. <laughs> That's, I, I do mean that. The lesbian monkey community of these Japanese macaques, I think they're not fussy. Why do we have to get this legally right? Do you think lesbian macaque monkeys are going to sue? <laughs> they're renowned for it. They're very litigious. <laughs> Them and Robert Maxwell. <laughs> Research was carried out by Professor Richard Desmond and will be published in the latest edition of his academic quarterly, Lesbian Asian Monkey Babes. <laughs> John, listen to this. Toss them high, toss them high, toss them to the ceiling. Toss them high, toss them high, catch them as they fall. On the table, pop them, don't you dare to drop them. Cute again, pack again, let's dance again away. Who's won the toss, John, when it comes to flipping a tricky problem? This is all about uh, Shrove Tuesday pancakes and some mathematical idiots who worked out exactly what the formula is for a perfect pancake. So this works out the trajectory, how big the thing is, how high it goes up. The only thing is that you have to take these measurements while you're throwing it in the air. <laughs> so we're on radio, so I'm now going to throw the pancake into the air. Plonk! Perfect. <laughs> so that's how you do it. Do you that bit again, or is it? Did you miss it? John, are you missing it. work? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should do a course or something. Keep your mind occupied. This is quite like a story uh, that was around last year where there was a, a scientific team at, at one of the universities, I think it was Leeds, uh, who'd been given funding to investigate how to make a perfect cup of tea. And you just think, surely you've got more to do with your time. <laughs> No, I think I could do that. I'll just do it now. Shh. <laughs> there we are, a perfect cup of tea. You should work on the sound effects a bit there, John. <laughs> then you have to do horses' hooves, don't you? Clop, yes. clop, 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 clop. And coughs. No, you have to have uh, coconut halves, don't you, to yes. do the clop, clop. Yes. Well, I haven't got them. I didn't know I was going to be asked to do <laughs> horses' hooves. Hello. That's when you go into a dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> then, Simon! And then, Simon then we do the door creaking open. War, young men are punting down the cam. I don't want my last minutes to be here. <laughs> Listening to John's reflections for the next 14 hours. <laughs> We're dying. I, can well, I was going to do a door creaking open, but I won't now. That's it. Okay? That's it. I'm packing up now. I've done my best. <laughs> All right. 
practicing students at Leeds University working with the Asda supermarket chain claim to have discovered the perfect formula for tossing a pancake. The formula is W equals the square root of pi times G over 4R, where W is the angular velocity of the pancake, G represents gravity, and R is, and I quote from the report precisely here, the distance between the center of the pancake and the tosser's elbow. <laughs> Let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Jeremy. This is sent in by Georgie Strout from Cornwall. And, it, and it's from the Cornish Guardian. Uh, a woman who claimed that the beast of Bodmin Moor was laying siege to her house has made the list of the top ten funniest calls to the RSPCA. The woman phoned to report that she was trapped indoors because a black cat-like creature had been crouching on her doorstep for 24 hours. She thought it might be the infamous beast of Bodmin Moor, but the skulking beast turned out to be deliverer of phone directories in a black plastic bag. <laughs> This is from Anne Taylor, uh, a letter in uh, last month's Leicester Mercury. Um, Local hospitals treated my late husband better than I think any private one could have done. Even though he met a premature end due to a medication overdose, <laughs> I had no complaints. Anyone can make a mistake. <laughs> With the insurance paying off the mortgage and the compensation I received, I've been able to purchase a modest apartment in Mallorca. <laughs> So even the darkest clouds can have a silver lining. <laughs> oh, this was sent in by Marjorie Rulstone, and it's from the Johannesburg Star. This is a story about the loss by the landlocked country of Swaziland of its entire merchant navy. <laughs> the fleet, which consists of just one ship, has completely disappeared. The Swaziland Transport Minister was not worried or blaming his civil servants. The situation is absolutely under control, he said. We believe it's in the sea somewhere. <laughs> uh, mine was sent to me, this is a topical one sent to me by, by Matt Hawksworth. Um, it's part of a report attributed to Sky News this week. Umkaza is a city similar to Southampton, UK Defence Minister Jeff Hoon said in the Commons yesterday. <laughs> A British squaddy patrolling the town commented, he's either never been to Southampton or he's never been to Um Kaza. <laughs> There's no beer, no prostitutes, and people are shooting at us. <laughs> it's more like Portsmouth. <laughs> it's from Ski Monthly, Simon. <laughs> and it's from Sarah Ferguson's guest column. And it says, it is essential for all novices to overcome early posture difficulties if they don't want to be stuck with them forever. These, of course, vary. I, for example, have always found it very hard to keep my knees together. <laughs> so it's goodbye for this week, and we leave you with thoughts of Christmas with our much-loved party leaders. Michael Howard unwrapping his gift of garlic begone air freshener. Charlie Kennedy, trying to distinguish the turkey from the rest of his MPs. And Tony Blair, standing at the number 10 mantelpiece, dreaming of roasting Gordon's chestnuts by an open fire. We leave them, and you, with best wishes for Christmas, and a final cutting read by Vaughan Savage. Three Rivers Cat Protection in Rickmansworth require kind-hearted cat lovers who can offer cats in need a temporary home and a little love. All expenses paid, including vet bills. Also, we offer help with neutering costs for pensioners and people on benefits. <laughs> 
The News Quiz of the Year was presented by Simon Hoggett with Alan Corrin, Andy Hamilton, Jeremy Hardy, Linda Smith, Francis Ween, Boris Johnson, Amanda Anucci, Rory Bremner, Sandy Togsvig, Phil Jupitus, Emma Kennedy, John Sargent, Phil Hammond and Mark Steele. The newsreaders were Brian Perkins, Charlotte Green, Vaughan Savage and me, Corey Caulfield. The German script was written by George Poles, Dave Cohen, Simon Littlefield and Paul McKenzie. The producer was Simon Nichols.